Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Awesome stuff that One Vision's doing in the Middle East, in Brazil, and uh, in the Dominican Republic. Good morning, church. Um, happy you guys are here for Missions Emphasis Month, our second week of it. Uh, we got kicked off last week. Joel talked to us about the Great Commission and how the Great Commission is part of the bigger mission. And that, that bigger mission we see, and we're going to go through here in just a second, we see through the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelations that God would have a people, worshipers, followers, children from every nation, from every tribe, and from every tongue. Last Sunday, we had an awesome panel discussion here on Sunday night. I'm glad that, that uh, some of you guys got to come and join that. Um, at this church, we take a stand on God's word. We believe that God's word is entirely true. And so when Jesus says that he's the way to the Father and that he's the only way, we're going to stand on that. And we believe that. And when Peter says in Acts chapter 4.12 that it's by Jesus through his name and his name alone that salvation comes, we're going to stand on that. We believe that. You know, if we didn't, then we wouldn't have any need for this Missions Emphasis Month. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing. We wouldn't be pressing international missions. The video that you guys saw, it wouldn't make such an impact. But we do. We believe that it's true. We believe that Jesus is the only way. But we live in a culture that, that doesn't really believe that, doesn't believe that at all, really. We're moving in one of two directions here. And the directions that we're moving, one of the directions that we're moving is nuns. Not nuns in a Catholic church, N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. People who are not religious, they don't identify with any belief system. Um, they're agnostic, they're some cases atheist. And then the other is omnist. They might not call themselves omnist, but omnism, omnism all um, and then ism beliefs. So they believe all beliefs are true. And in an increasingly secular society, uh, this is kind of what that looks like. First with the nuns. The nuns, this is a survey, Pew Research from 2018. So you have to imagine that this has gone up since then. But in 2018, 22% of people would consider themselves nun on survey. Um, church planning strategies used to be if, if you build it, then they'll come. But also in that survey in 2018, 85 million adults in the U.S. said they had no intention of attending a church service, you know, Christmas, Easter, anything. No intention of attending a church service throughout that year. Uh, since 1991, 30 years, the amount of adults in the United States that say they have no intention of attending a church service has doubled, has doubled the percentage has. And we usually can look at, at the West, we look at Europe and we look at England and, and we see a trend that happens there a lot of times and then it happens over here. And right now in England, that number, 70% of adults in England have no intention of attending a church service this year. 70% of their population. So that's the uh, nuns. We also have omnism, right? Or you, you could say universalism. That's uh, more of the mindset that um, all religions are true, that, that all beliefs are true. And the problem with this kind of feel-good logic or actually, you know, lack of logic, there's not much logic to it, is that in lots of situations, two things can't be true at the same time. I can't be a married bachelor 
If, if someone says I'm married, another person says I'm a bachelor, one of them's right and one of them's wrong, and it's the same case when it comes to faith. Omnis, they like to think of religions as fundamentally the same, but then there's some superficial differences. But really, religions are fundamentally different. And there's some things that are kind of similar within the religion. For instance, in Christianity and Islam, there's um, both calls to, to honor your parents. There's calls in, in both religions to be kind to others. There's things on the surface that seem to be the same, but fundamentally, they are opposed. In, in Islam, for instance, if you claim that Jesus, the prophet, if you claim that Jesus, who they see as a prophet, that he died on a cross, that's a grievous sin in that religion. That would be heresy in that religion, but that's fundamental to our belief as Christians. You know, syncretism is this idea of blending different religions together, and a lot of people have kind of, are kind of going down that path, and it's not a new thing. We see it in the Old Testament with uh, the Asherah poles that are placed in the temple, and the Israelites worship the Asherah poles and say that the Asherah pole is kind of like the queen, and Yahweh is the king, and this did not please the one true God at all. We saw Israel punished time and time again because of this kind of attitude towards God. As believers, for us, trying to maybe not even blend beliefs, but trying to affirm other people's beliefs, it's not doing any good. We're not helping other people by pretending that something that's not true is true. You know, Christians, we, we've been born in order to fulfill a purpose, in order to fulfill a mission. And when we, when we start to align our purpose with God's purpose, we start to see the greater mission, what we were saved for, and what that purpose is. Our purpose for living changes. So, God saved you, if he saved you, and he's, he's placed you right here in 2021, part of that purpose that he's given all believers responsibility is reaching the unreached with the gospel and the great commission that he saved you to be part of. The great commission Joel talked about last week that's part of the greater mission. Last week, Joel talked about Abram, who was called, his name was changed to Abraham, and uh, that there would be, um, from his offspring, all nations of the world would be blessed, and we see that fulfilled in Jesus. And then we saw the Tower of Babel, how um, God said, I didn't tell you to build a, something for yourself. I, I told you to make my name known. And so he scattered them throughout the world. And then we see continuing throughout the Old Testament, God using the Israelites who continue to sin against him time and time again, but using people of that remnant to make his name known among the nations. Uh, one instance, um, is in the book of Daniel. There, there's a couple really good ones in here, but um, Joel did the book of Daniel not long ago. Um, his, God makes his name known with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, after they're rescued from the fiery furnace, this is a pagan king. And he says this, I make this decree, excuse me, this is uh, Daniel 3.29, I make this decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. A pagan God and God, uh, our pagan king and God's name being made known among the pagan people. In Daniel 6.26, when Daniel's rescued from the lion's den, King Darius says, I make a decree that in, all, that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. And then in the New Testament, like I mentioned, we see Jesus, he fulfills these prophecies, and he comes to make the name of God known through him. 
And we see that the theme of all people, of all nations, continue on. Jesus in Mark 11, he quotes the prophet Isaiah after cleansing the temple and says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? In Matthew 24, when discussing end times, he says this in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then we see Mark's version of the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15, um, says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Jesus fulfills prophecy. He dies on a cross. He fulfills prophecy. He rises from the dead. And then he ascends into heaven. And before ascending in Acts 1-8, this is what he tells his followers. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see them filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this take place. The Holy Spirit comes and they start to prophesy and people start to get saved in the area, but then persecution comes. And this is part of God's plan because what happens is they start to spread. The believers start to spread throughout Judea and throughout Samaria. And that's how the word, the way Christianity starts to spread throughout that region. And then we see that God's not just calling Jewish people because at first it's, it's just Jewish people that were his followers mainly for the most part that were being saved. And we see this guy named Paul and he is God's instrument to the Gentiles. In Acts 9, 15, there's a man named Ananias that God calls to go to Paul and he says to him, go for he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The rest of the book of Acts and the epistles, they give a detailed description of Paul and, the, and these other disciples of Jesus struggling to plant churches throughout the Mediterranean and throughout the world. So what's the conclusion? We're, we're still living in this time right now, right? Before the conclusion and what happened in Acts. We see John the Revelator sees a vision in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. You see, the Bible is it's 66 books, but it's one greater book, right? It's one plot from Genesis to Revelation for every tribe, people, nation, and language in the conclusion, bowing and worshiping at the feet of Jesus. We have to connect what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 to where we're at now and to that conclusion, all right? Heaven is, a multi, is multicultural and God is a missionary God. From cover to cover, he is showing us his greater mission. And we're the church and we're called into that greater mission, the purpose of bringing representatives from every tongue, every tribe, every nation to his throne. You know, we can struggle with purpose in life. Students, really, they can struggle with purpose. But Joel, he, he talked about mission last week, what the greater mission is. And when you have clearly defined that mission, it starts to make your purpose align with God's purpose for you and what he saved you for. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is a document that's been used in the West, especially for hundreds of years, kind of ask, answering questions uh, about the faith, about Christianity. And one of the questions that comes from really what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes is, what is the chief end of man? Or what is my purpose? Why am I here? 
And the answer it gives is is a simple answer. The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So how can we do that? How can we glorify him? We do it by obeying him. We do it by praising him. And we do it by making his name known to others so that they can ultimately do the same. And and that should be our purpose. Psalm Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And it says again, praise the Lord. I'd say many people in here are familiar with John Piper, a quote that's really popular at any missions month that you probably go to is this. It's missions exist because worship doesn't. And there's still a lot of people in a lot of places, and we're going to see how many here in just a little bit, significant numbers that don't know Jesus, that have no access to knowing Jesus, and missions are necessary to make the name of Jesus known. In John chapter 10, Jesus, he, he explains a few things. One of the things that he explains is that he is the good shepherd. He, he explains that those who are his sheep will hear his voice. And he also explains that he is the single way in which we find salvation. And, and it goes on and he gives this verse which points to, to people outside of the Jewish community coming to Christ, being saved. John ten sixteen, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There's still many sheep who aren't in this church today. There's still many sheep who aren't in this city, aren't in this state, aren't in this country, and we're called to go out and to tell them the good news, to lead them to the good shepherd. We're called to have compassion for them like Jesus did, to point them to him, all right? So right now, if, you have a, if you're looking in the Bible, if you've got a device or something, we're gonna go and be in Matthew chapter nine for a little bit, looking at verses 35 through 38. Starting in verse 35, It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, if you got a Bible, you look at the subtitles there, you'll see that Jesus has been really, really busy in Matthew's account of what's going on in chapter nine. Here's some stuff that he's done in chapter nine. He healed a paralytic person and uh, forgave him his sins. He healed a woman who had struggled with a terrible disease for 12 years. He raised a girl from the dead he healed a blind man and he drove out a demon. You know, a lot of times we focus on these physical miracles, these things that he's doing, which are awesome and prove he is who he says he is. It proves his deity. But Jesus didn't stop with that. He didn't stop with that. If you notice what else it says he was doing in verse 35, it says he was teaching the good news of the kingdom. If you read throughout the gospels, Jesus is teaching repent and believe. He's not neglecting the spiritual. He's sharing, or or he's doing these physical miracles, but he's also sharing the truth of the gospel. Jesus never neglected the spiritual, and neither can we. So you think that maybe Jesus, he he has a chance now to rest on his laurels a little bit. He's been doing all these things, done all these miracles, but this is what it says in verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, he felt compassion for these people. The Greek word that's used here is the deepest sense of pity that someone can feel for another human being. It it describes compassion that moves someone to the depths of their soul. And why does he feel this way? Well, it says that they were harassed, they were helpless, they were like sheep 
without a shepherd. Now, sheep without a shepherd, you guys understand, would be in, in terrible condition. Most of us realize, if you've paid any attention to sheep, that they're not very smart animals. One would follow the other right off a cliff. They'd be fed to the wolves. A sheep, they'll hear raging water and think it's a nice, quiet stream where they can go get a drink. And that's what we're like, separated from God. And God's looking at these people and he sees people that their spiritual guides were people that have been corrupted. They're these scribes, these priests, these Levites, these Pharisees, who for the most part were worthless. You know, a shepherd is a, a pastor or a teacher. And, and we've been going through some of the small groups, this uh, Bible study that talks about how we all have a shepherd in our life. We all have someone that we follow, someone that's shepherding us, someone that's teaching us. Psalm 23, 1, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In some translations, it might say, I lack nothing. And when we understand our purpose in life, when we find that purpose in Christ and his greater mission, we lack nothing because Christ is enough. Now, some of you might think, I don't think I have a shepherd. I just do what I want to do. I do my own thing. Well, the, the end of that verse for you, I doubt, says, I lack nothing. There's still probably a lot of stuff that you feel like that you lack if you think you're your own shepherd. And you're being led not by the good shepherd, but by the ways of the world, which are corrupted. So Jesus saw these people. He sees a neglected flock. He sees people who weren't being fed. He sees people who couldn't grow spiritually and he sees people who have been led astray by false teachers. So when he looks at them, that's what he sees, and he feels compassion. He has a deep sense of pity for them. And maybe you guys have felt this for someone. Maybe you have a burden for someone in your life. For a lot of people that have been missionaries and stuff, they had a burden for the people that they went and talked to. Uh, I know a missionary that I talked to, and she stood over atop of a college campus and looked down at all the students, and it, it brought her to tears. I'll, I'll give a little bit of my testimony about that here in a second. But we see this throughout scripture. In Acts chapter 17, we see Paul with that same burden. He goes to Athens, Greece. Some commentators say that uh, at that time, Athens, you were just as likely to see an idol walking down the street as you were a human being. So he, he, he goes to Athens and he sees all these statues and he goes to the temple and he sees a, a statue, an idol, even to an unknown God. And he didn't see these idols the way a normal tourist was because Paul wasn't just on a mission trip. He was on mission all the time. He had a different worldview. And when he saw these idols, he didn't just see cool looking statues. He thought about the people that worshiped those idols. And he thought about their eternal state. It was on the front of his mind, not in the back of his head. And as a Christian, we should see the world in light of God's revelation. We should see sports, arts, music, everything in light of God, in light of creation, of fall and redemption and new redemption. And Paul, just like Jesus, he felt something. And he didn't just say in Acts chapter 17, yeah, that's cool, you guys, that's cool. Keep worshiping that, do that. No, it says he was provoked, that he was deeply distressed, that his heart hurt for these people. And so he shared truth with them. He wanted Jesus to be worshiped in Athens. And he realized that the people there had been led astray. And the problem with a lot of us, and, and this is me too, I, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here too, most of us, when it comes to evangelism, whether it's right here, someone right around you, or whether it's someplace around the world, is that we don't really care that much. Just don't really care that much. And we didn't get this from Jesus, and we didn't get this from Paul. We get it from, and I understand coming back here. You know, I've, I've told people I came back from the mission field in 2018, and it was in February, um, 
about two months after I got back and I went with the college group on a ski trip. And I'm thinking everybody I'm seeing skiing on the front of my mind, does that person know the Lord? And as you start to get into a routine and stuff in life, that goes away. You don't think those things the same. We don't really care as much. It's not just because of complete lack of compassion, but we get busy and we get distracted. Another example of, of a missionary um, who, who cared, and there's lots of them, but uh, this is a quote that I wanted to share, is Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China in the 1800s. He started the China Inland Mission with the hope of reaching all of China with the gospel, and uh, millions have been saved as, as a direct result of the work that Hudson Taylor was doing over there. But um, after his first furlough, so he, he comes home, he's there in China six and a half years, and he comes back to England. He, he's from England, and he was at a worship service. This is before 70% of England didn't go to church. He was at a worship service, and uh, this is what he says about that worship service. He says, I was unable to bear the sight of hundreds of Christian, pe- hundreds of Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge. Is there someone that you have compassion for like that? A group of people, somebody that you care about like that? Is the eternal state of others on your mind? You know, I I believe God looks around the world today a lot how Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9. He sees a lot of people in the church, a lot of people who claim to be Christians, and then a whole, whole lot of lost people. And he sees a lot of people in the church not doing anything about it. Do you love others enough to share truth with them? Do you love others enough to share truth with them? Who do you have compassion for like that? Do you have compassion to share truth? Have compassion to share truth. Having compassion for others includes not lying to them. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 4, um, the verse says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And, and that's where we're at now. And that's what Jesus saw too in his day. So he looks at the people, he has compassion for them, and he sees a need. But where there's a need, there's also an opportunity. The second point on the back of your worship guide is great need equals great opportunity. The first point, I don't even know if I said that. That was, that was a compassion to share truth. Maybe you got that out of what I was saying. I don't remember what I said in the last service and in this one. All right, so Matthew nine thirty seven. it goes on. And it says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we're gonna have to turn it down again. I'm starting to sweat again. Everybody else was freezing out there last time I talked. I didn't sweat in the first service. All right, the harvest is is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's great human need all around us. Um, In our schools, in our churches, we go on mission trips. Um, If you go out to the booths over here, the four booths that we have on that side, you'll see a ton of need right here around us. If you go to the booths over there, the the missionary booths, you'll see that there's great need. There's great human human need. Um, there's physical needs. In James 2.16, it says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So we're called to meet the physical needs of others. But, but what we're also called to do is meet spiritual needs of others. We're not called 
to just meet physical needs, but to, but to meet spiritual needs as well. And we can't completely meet the spiritual need, but we sure can share the one who can, all right? So if we meet someone's need physically, but we neglect sharing the gospel with them, we neglect bringing truth to them, then what have we really done? And what Jesus is saying here in this passage is that there's a lot of people who are waiting to hear the gospel message. A lot of people who are waiting to hear the gospel message and who's gonna take it to them? Where are the laborers? Where are the laborers who are gonna take it to them? And we should look at at the trouble in the world. We should look at lost souls and see that as an opportunity, a great opportunity for us to fulfill the purpose that God has created us for. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So how many are really laboring for the kingdom? How many are really laboring for the kingdom? In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we find a verse about our purpose, really shows us what our purpose is. It says that we're ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The call is this, the world is under a curse and Jesus is the only antidote to that. And we are called to take the antidote to those who do not have it. The third point, I am the laborer. The third point, I am the laborer. View yourself as a laborer. There's a call to prayer here to send out laborers. View yourself as that laborer. All right, verse 38 says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is something we should be praying for often. Pray that God would save people who haven't yet heard his name. Pray that God would compel people to go into the harvest. Pray that God would send laborers. Uh, A commentator I read and pastor at a Calvary Chapel church named David Guzik said this, this is a prayer we must pray But we can only pray it honestly if we pray it with an ear open to hearing him tell us, you go into the harvest. We have to to be open to that, that God's telling us to go into the harvest. Ask him if it's you that needs to go. And if he has saved you, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, you are called to go into the harvest. You know, I said I'd mention my testimony. When I was 25 years old, I was at a college group night at Second Baptist Church in Clinton, and um, it was just a prayer night. There was just worship music playing. It was just a prayer night. And I went down front to one of the stations there to pray, and there's just um, computer paper, and on that one piece of computer, it said to pray for people around the world who had no access to the gospel. And like the other stations, I knelt down at that station to pray, and I started weeping. I was in tears the same way that missionary who looked at that college campus and saw people thousands of them who had no access to, to God's word the way that she was. And I was in tears that day thinking about that. It, it broke me. I never thought of anything like being a missionary or, or working, even working in, in ministry at all. I, I hadn't understood that. And, and it's not really pushed. It's not really stressed here in the Western world. You know, I've done a version of this message to... Um, middle school, high school students at youth here, and then also um, on a college campus in Kentucky. So probably about 400 people, I'd say, in total. And I asked them, and especially the college students, of course, I said, you know, who has thought about a career? Who knows kind of what you might want to do as far as a career? And, And nearly all of them raised their hand because they're not like how I was in college. I wasn't thinking about a career at all at that point. So most of them raised their hand. And, um, then I asked them, and these are mostly kids that claim to be Christian kids, right? Whether here or whether um, at the, the college I was at, which is a um, Judeo-Christian 
Principal College, all right? So uh, I say, well, who's thought about being a missionary? And uh, have one college student, one high school student. Now, you parents are probably going to be running to me trying to hope, you know, hoping that it's not your high school student that raised their hand. But one college student, one high school student that said that they had thought of a career or being in international missions or being a missionary overseas. There's a shortage of laborers. Here in a minute, I'm going to show you guys a video, and you're going to see how much there's a shortage of laborers. And, and maybe you're saying, well, well, you know, I've never had a missionary calling like that. I've, I've never felt that way. I, I didn't have some vision like you said when you were seeing faces in your head, Clark. I, I've never had anything like that. So I want to ask you guys a question, and then I'm going to answer it. And the question is, what constitutes a missionary call? What constitutes a missionary call? The simple answer to this, we can go back to 2 Corinthians 5.20 and say that if you're saved, you are an ambassador for Christ, making an appeal to be reconciled to him. You know, this isn't something that's really being pushed very much. We do make career decisions, decisions about financial stability and athletics. We make all these things priorities here in the United States. We're consumed, really, quite honestly, with the call that the world places in front of us. But then when it comes to missions, to giving money to it, to going, and we'll look at some other ways here in a little bit, we think that we need some special revelation from God. We need him to show us in a dream to do that. We need something else. Instead, we should be consumed with the call of God to make disciples, which is a general call in scripture and asking for a special revelation to do anything other than that because he's already shown us in, shown us in his word that that's what we're called to do. You know, Christians, we pursue a profession here having demanded far less positive assurance than a missions call that comes from his word. You know, for me, and I hope that most of you put more thought into what you did and what you do than this. And, and I hope that you do pray about what you're doing as far as a career, where you live, how you're spending your money, all those things, right? For me, I, I took a job in banking down here. One, because Kelsey was down here and uh, probably was gonna get dumped if I didn't. Number two <laughs> is because that was a job where I thought that I could make pretty decent money and, and it was a, a job. And number three, I didn't think it would be that hard of a job. Banker's hours, right? So th- those are the main reasons I decided at that time to do what I ended up doing for a little while. And I imagine that, that there's other people that fall in that boat, right? But, but when it comes to missions, oh, well, let me say, say this about Kelsey. Kelsey knew what she was gonna do when she was five though. She knew when she was five years old, she wanted to be a teacher, maybe six, five or six, something. I've heard this story. She dressed up for her mom, like as her mom for career day. So yeah, she knew what she wanted to do. But when it comes to missions, we treat it far differently than we do selecting a career. Someone here might say, I think I want to be a nurse. Well, did God give you a special vision of that? No, but I think it's a good career. It could help people. That's awesome. But why is it that when it comes to missions, we need some special call? So why do we need it? And I'll ask this question. Why do we need a divine calling to go when God has already told us to go, but none of us seem to need a divine calling to stay and to stay in our comfort zones when God never said, stay in your comfort zone? Part of becoming more like Christ, becoming stronger in your beliefs, becoming more mature in your faith, is aligning how you view things with how he views things and who he is. His purposes and his ways becoming your purpose 
and your ways. Philippians 2, 7 says about Jesus, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. And then Matthew 20, 28 says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus emptied his life for us. He became a servant. And there's a general obligation to the Christian community to also become servants of God. And in doing so, see that his command, that his commission, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached to the world happens. You know, we don't need a special call to apply the general call of God to our lives. We don't do this with the blessings. We do this in scripture when it's a command that seems hard, but we don't do this with the blessings. Here's a good example for you. Matthew eleven twenty nine. it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And it's such a comforting verse. And we say, that's me. Yeah, I'll find rest for my soul. And it's true, absolutely, it is you. But then we look at like Mark 16, 15 that I showed earlier that says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And we say, that's someone else. That's not exactly for me. That's for, for a pastor. That's for that missionary, which we're going to see how few there are and, uh, when it comes to the number of people in the church here in just a second. Jesus said in Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? You know, we, give, we glorify God by sharing in his blessing and in obeying his commands. We don't ask for this divine calling to share in his blessing. We just, he just gives it to us. It's free. We, we also don't need a divine calling to follow him. We sang when I was back there, decided to follow Jesus. This is part of following Jesus. The second question I wanna ask you guys, and this, we had a missions panel last Sunday night, and this was a question that we asked on there. It's a good question, a question that you'll get. With so many needs in America, both physical and spiritual, why should I be committed to helping people overseas? First of all, um, I'll say what Rachel said then, it's not either or, both and. But this question was given first that night to Jeff Cruz, who was a, a missionary to the Philippines for 22 years, and he was sitting up here. And um, the answer he gave, he talked about a, a triage and talked about people coming into this uh, triage and you're going to treat the one who has the most severe injury. You're gonna treat the one where there's the most urgency. And he talked about the urgency that there is and the need that there is around the world. I'll give you this illustration. Let's, let's say that you are working for an owner of a vineyard and the command that he gives you is to go into the vineyard and pick as many grapes, get as many grapes, collect as many as possible. And you go into this vineyard and there's a lot of other people in there picking grapes. And most of them are congregated in a particular area where a lot of the grapes have been picked and it, it is, it's being taken care of. There's a lot of people there. Now there is still need. You can go over there, absolutely. But let's say if you walk down the hill a little bit, there's grapes and grapes and grapes that have never been touched. No one has ever been there. No one. Wouldn't you go down that hill to pick them? If you don't understand what I'm getting at with this analogy, that's all right. I've got a video for you. And I want to show you this video right now. And uh, then we'll look at some other numbers. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of His return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, 
Let's classify the seven billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right! The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And, together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well, $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep. 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. 5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all mission's money, going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes, for their pets than gets sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that?
Okay, so some crazy numbers in, in that video, but there's billions, right, still waiting to hear the good news. We're not just the church here at Sturkey Hills. We're not just the church in Tennessee or the church in America. We are the global, the global church, the bride of Christ, and we are called to make his name known. We're called to play a role in making him known. There are sheep that don't belong to this flock that are still out there. The people in America who claim Christianity, uh, first I'll say, I, I, this stat that I'm giving you um, is just another stat I wanted to throw in there because it's funny because I threw my mom under the bus at, um, <laughs> at a, uh, the college where I spoke at because my mom's a big dog lover and there's a big joke um, that I don't even, it's not even really a joke, it's probably true that she spent more money on dog food than she did food for, for me and my brother when we were young. My mom loves dogs, but uh, this is, this is kind of sad. People in America who claim Christianity spend more on dog food than what goes to reach the lost. I wanna give you guys a, a few more numbers here. Um, a lot of these, these areas, they're tough to reach places. They are where there's political boundaries, um, there's boundaries which is where it's hard to get to, language barriers, things like that. Um, I'm, I'm gonna leave the 1040 window if Joel wants to talk about that the next three weeks, but in the 1040 window, I will mention some of the religions that are in there. We got a map here. Maybe, there we go. Okay, so the, the green, this is the 1040 window, 10 degrees latitude to 40 degrees latitude in the Eastern hemisphere where uh, most of the unreached, billions of people, uh, two thirds of the world's population in this area. Okay, uh, the green area is mainly Muslim people, the yellow area, Hindu people, um, and, and it's, it's mixed throughout. Um, the gray area is more just like not religious and then um, the orange is, is Buddhist. But if, if you think of the acronym THUMB, That'll help you remember this. The T stands for tribal. Um, tribal religions, if you go to any of these, this area of the world, you'll find that there's lots of different languages within the country and within the national religion, whatever it is, and, and that there's lots of different tribes and they have some tribal belief system. A lot of times you'll have like Islam mixed in with some kind of tribal belief that they have. And of tribal people make up about 9.7% of the world's population and there's about one missionary for every 60,000 people within that group. For Hindu people, Really, in, in India, in Nepal, in Bangladesh, um, they make up about 13.4% of the world population, over a billion people, and uh, there's about one missionary for every 179,000 people. Those that are not religious, really, in Japan, in pockets of China, in Vietnam, other areas of Southeast Asia, um, they make up about 11.3% of the world population, and there's about one missionary for every 71,000 people. Muslims make up about 1.8 billion people in the world, 23.3% of the population, and there's one missionary for every 405,000 Muslim people. Buddhists, about 545 million people, 7.1% of the world population, and about one missionary for every 260,000 Buddhists. To kind of put it in perspective, here in the United States, to look at the United States next to some other countries, in the United States, we have one missionary for every 2,700 people. Here in, in Tennessee, we have one church for every single person, pretty much, right? There are areas in the United States that aren't as reached. We send a college group on a trip to Boston, an area where there's not many churches there. Um, but to put it in perspective for other countries in Pakistan, one missionary for 213,000 people. In Bangladesh, one for 250,000. In Turkey, one for 270,000. In China, one for 700,000. In India and in Vietnam, one for 2 million people. And in Iran, one missionary for every 3 million people. Worldwide, we have about one missionary to reach every 250,000 people. 
So what is, what is a people group? I've mentioned that a little bit. Um, a people group, there, there's probably between, depending on what you look at, between about 16,000, 17,000 people groups in the world. And um, this is an ethno-linguistic group with a common self-identity that is shared by the various members. And for strategic purposes, it is the largest group within which the gospel can spread without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. And then we talk about an unreached people group. This is a people group that's less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. The total um, unreached for unreached people groups is somewhere between about six and 7,000. 6,741 is the number I'll give you this morning. But um, the total population in this group is, is over 3 billion people. And the total percentage of the world that, that live in unreached areas makes up 42% of our world population. A majority of these groups, as I mentioned, live in the 1040 window. We have about 7 million churches in the world. There's 1,000 congregations for every unreached people group. Ultimately, God calls us to follow the example of his son, Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I think it's, a, it's an awesome just representation of who he is. It says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus left his home so that we could know God, and he calls us to do the same for others. He calls us to take up our cross daily, to rid ourselves of ourselves, and to follow him. In the Moravian mission movement in the 1700s, there was one out of 92 people within that church that became a missionary cross-culturally. Within the Southern Baptist denomination today, it, we have about 5,000, and we send out more than anyone, we, we send out about 5,000 missionaries around the world, and if we were sending out one in 92 members of our churches, we'd be sending out 170,000 missionaries instead of 5,000. So I think I've established the Western church isn't taking the Great Commission as seriously as we should. God calls us to love and to care about the same things that he does. I'm going to give you some positive stats, though, right now, some, some International Missions Board stats from 2020. These are some, some really cool things here. In 2020, the IMB, which is the, the missions arm of the SBC, uh, planted over 18,000 new churches. There were 247 new groups and new places that were engaged over 86,000 baptisms, over 144,000 new believers, and 422 missionaries sent out. The stat that's just terrible, we can make a difference in this, is estimated over 155,000 people still dying every day without the gospel, without Christ. That's the size of Springfield, Massachusetts, or Jackson, Mississippi. So finally, I understand it's not feasible for everyone in here. It's, it rules out a whole lot of people. You can't just move tomorrow and go live in a different country. Everyone cannot do that. So how can you get involved? How can you get involved? Um, I, I want us to explore and look at, in closing, some habits of people who prioritize a missions calling. The first one is going. Naturally, when you think of missions, you think of people that are going around the world. Um, whether it be short-term, whether it be for a little, you know, for, for a couple months, we've had people in this church do that, or whether it be long-term, and we support people that, that go long-term. Here, here um, Here's something that you, know, that you might hear when it comes to 
well, I'm, I'm not equipped to go or I'm, I'm not capable of going because I don't know what I'd say, et cetera, et cetera. This is common throughout the Bible. I think one story that really illustrates that is Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when Jesus call, or when God calls him to go to, to Pharaoh to lead his people out of Egypt. And, and Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God basically says, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am when he responds in verse 12 and says, I will be with you. Robert Morrison, he was the first Bible translator to China, and before leaving, he was asked, do you really think you can change 2,000 years of idolatry in China? And he said, no, I don't, but I expect that God can. The second way that you can get involved if you're not going is just praying. Praying. Everyone can do that. In, in Luke 11, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and one of the things he says is to, to pray his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we see in Revelation what we looked at earlier that his kingdom come on earth looks like a, a multicultural church of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping at the feet of Jesus. So, so pray for the ministries that we have here and, and look, check those out in the lobby. See if there's ways that you, you can support them. Um, Another way that you can pray, there's an app. The name of the app is Unreached People Group. It's a Joshua Project. The International Missions Board has another one. It gives a different group every single day. It tells statistics about them, shows where they're at. You can pray for those people. Pray for God to send people to lost souls. Pray for opportunity. Pray for boldness. Pray for the people themselves. And pray that the Lord would send you. Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. The third thing is sending. And sending involves giving. Uh, Verse 15 of Romans 10 says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? The unreached don't have a chance to go if someone is not, or don't have a chance to hear the gospel if someone's not sending others to tell them. Rachel gave a great opportunity in her video uh, for, for families that are trying to go to places that don't have churches in Brazil and get churches planted in those areas. Another opportunity will be the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, that's, Lottie Moon was a missionary to China, first missionary sent by the Southern Baptist Church, um, first single female, excuse me, sent by the Southern Baptist Church. And uh, there's an offering taken up every year, and that's something that we're going to look at doing here at the Church of Sturkey Hills. A fourth thing is welcoming. There are 650,000 international students, college students, man, really for you guys, but for all of us, 650,000 international students at our doorstep from 188 countries around the world. It's an amazing missions opportunity. If you have the opportunity to host a foreign exchange student, I've heard an awesome testimony about someone from China who was saved here in the States after coming as a foreign exchange student, and now her and her husband are both missionaries back in their country. College students, there's no reason you shouldn't have a couple international friends each semester. Hang out with them, invite them to Bible studies, practice English with them, run errands with them. A really sad stat is that 80% of kids that come here internationally are never invited to an American person's home. So they're, they're coming to a, a country, whether it's a Christian country or not, it, it's not, but they think they're coming to a Christian country from a place that's not. And they're, they're, they're coming from a place where hospitality, if you've been to some of these other countries, is off the chains. And then they, they're not even invited to someone's home throughout the year and, and go back to their country hearing nothing of Jesus. The fifth and final way is, is by mobilizing if you're a mobilizer, that means that you've been mobilized 
into missions at, at some point, whether you know you heard a convicting passage of scripture, um, whether you went on a short-term trip and it changed the way that you viewed things, or maybe you were at a conference that emphasized missions. And the focus of a mobilizer is, is to be a recruiter and to make a plan to reach the unreached. The mobilizer is seeking to raise missions awareness. Every single one of us can play some sort of role in reaching the unreached with the gospel. And Jesus said the workers are few. I believe he looks today, you guys saw that video, and still says the same thing. But the harvest is plentiful. And where there's great need, there's great opportunity. C.T. Studd was a missionary to Africa in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, this was a guy that was um, a Cambridge graduate. He was a cricket player that was pro cricket player, whatever they, however pro you could get then. Uh, this guy was a person that you would look at and say, man, he's got a lot going on. And he left it to become a missionary to Africa. And he said, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. David Livingston was a missionary to Africa in the 1800s. He was a Scottish physician to left, ever, left everything to be a missionary. He, he said this, God, send me anywhere, only go with me, lay any burden on me, only sustain me and sever any tie in my heart, except the tie that binds my heart to yours. God will be with us. Jesus promised that he will be with us to the end of the age. We follow and he goes with us. It's a pretty good deal. When you catch God's vision for the world, it'll change how you view things. You'll start to view things with this eternal lens, but it's not gonna happen just staying in the comfortable bubble that you've created, that we've created for ourselves. It's also not gonna happen if you don't know Jesus. You're not really on mission with him. You can't be part of that mission if you haven't first been born into his family. I ask you guys to just bow your heads this morning for me. When we go other places, we take things to meet physical needs, but there's nothing more important than spiritual need. There's nothing more important than them receiving the gospel. And that's the same thing for us here today. Maybe you've never heard a clear gospel presentation. I know if you're coming to this church that you've, that you've been hearing one, but this is the truth. We are all sinners. We are separated from God. We deserve an eternity separated from him in a place called hell. But God in his mercy, in his grace, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came and lived the perfect life that we could and he died a death on a cross that we deserve and he rose again from the dead. And it's by receiving that gift, receiving that grace and receiving it through faith that God will give you his spirit, he'll set you on a journey with him and he'll give you new life and make you a new creation. If that's you this morning and you've never received that, you can pray something like this. Lord God, I confess that I am a sinner and today I repent. You are right, Lord, and you are holy and you are just and I repent and today I wanna follow you. I make you Lord of my life. I believe, Jesus, that you lived the perfect life, that you died for me and that you rose again from the dead and I pray today, Lord God, that you would just give me your Holy Spirit, that you would make me a new creation, make me a new person, For the rest of us, if you've been saved, if you've received this gift and God's calling you, he's calling you into the great commission, into the greater mission to rescue souls. Lord God, I pray for this church today. I pray for the people here, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, light a fire within each and every person here 
to make your name known throughout our community, Lord, throughout the circles that we're in, throughout this state, Lord, throughout this country, throughout the world. And please show us, Lord, how to do that, how to get more involved in that, how to be obedient to the call that you've placed on us, the purpose that we have, because you've rescued us, Lord. You've made us new. Lord God, I just pray for each person in here that you go with them throughout this week, that you would help the things that we talked about here today to be on the front of their mind. That when they see people, Lord, that they would view things in the light of who you are, Jesus. Lord God, we praise you. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for dying us, dying for us, unworthy, undeserving sinners. We just give you all honor this morning, all glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.